Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I'm Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who has been dealing with addiction and mental health issues for several years. I'm walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. Today's guest is Emmalinda McLean. She's the co-founder of More Than Sex Ed, a Los Angeles-based nonprofit whose mission is to nourish healthy development through honest conversation about sex. She's the director of curriculum and instruction at More Than Sex Ed. Plus, she wrote a children's book around the topic of consent called Everybody, Everybody. And just in case you didn't get the hint already by the title and by that introduction, we're going to be talking about sex today. So if you have any sensitive listeners or really young kids or people, you don't want to hear this, just skip this episode and catch us the next time. (laughs) But I hope you all stay and listen. So we hope that in this episode, parents and other caring adults will find out how best to help educate today's teens about sex, gender, consent, and diversity. So welcome to Safe Home, Emmalinda. Glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I've been wanting to do an episode on this topic because a lot of parents come up to me and their big problem with their child is sexting or sneaking out and having sex with their boyfriend or whatever. And, you know, obviously when you have teens, that's going to be top of your list. But I haven't had this subject tackled at all on the episodes yet. So it is about time. So I'm so glad you're here. It's my pleasure. So before we find out more about your organization, how... Did you get a career in the field of sexual health education? What's the career trajectory for that job? (laughs) So I get this question a lot, and I wish I had a better answer for the many wonderful people who would love to be a part of this incredibly important field. I fell sideways into it. I was working as a religious education director for a small liberal church, And as part of that was trained to run the sexual health education program as a ministry of the church. And it was a Unitarian Universalist church and the curriculum that they run is called Our Whole Lives, which has programming for kindergarten through senior citizens, because it truly is a part of our whole lives from birth to death, Mm -hmm. having a body and relationships with other people. And myself and several other people running that program at various churches in the LA area realized that it was too valuable to only offer to people who made it in through the doors of the church. And we decided that we needed to start a nonprofit. So that was the the work that we started in 2014-15 and have been slowly building it and growing as a 501c3 into various schools and community groups around the Los Angeles area ever since. That's so awesome. So your organization is completely secular. Correct. We do not have any religious content. That's an important part of California law around sex education is no religious mm-hmm. teachings. We do recognize that there are values that are part mm-hmm. of sex education. I'll say when I run trainings that does your sex ed acknowledge that gay people exist or not? Uh-huh. That's a values based decision either way. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and so being transparent about the values that you are assuming when you teach and recognizing where the line is. Yeah, that must be a little tricky. Yeah. Because not everybody believes that gay people exist, oddly enough. Yeah, we know that they do because they've told us so. Yeah, we do exist. We're here. Yeah. Wow. I bet you've had a lot of interesting experiences doing this job, I'm just going to say. You know, never a dull moment. Yeah, I bet. I know that I will be able to do this work for the rest of my life and never get bored. 
I bet. And things continue to change and uh, kind of refocus. It seems like right now there's a lot of concern around the social media and the kind of internet access that people have that is causing all sorts of problems. And then also the gender seems to have kind of exploded the last decade or so. Do you guys talk about gender diversity in your Absolutely. Um, it's a huge topic for a lot of young people and their parents and a lot of angry adults, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And we recognize that trans people also exist. And we know that because they've told yep. us so. Yep. And we also know that trans people have always existed. It is a myth yes. that it is a new fad. Yeah, There have it's been LGBTQ people since the dawn of time. And we have many different cultures all over the world. Many indigenous cultures have spiritual roles for people of different genders. And so we want to always be mindful of looking at an intersectional lens and recognizing that, unfortunately, the, the myth of the gender binary is also tied up in the myth of white supremacy and the process of colonial imperialism that took place throughout the the 19th and 20th centuries. It's tied up in eugenics. The the idea of rigid gender roles has a lot to do with those fascist ideologies that enforce narrow boxes to put people in. And we are all about not putting people in boxes. Yeah. Getting out of the boxes. You can see that in this younger generation, the kids in elementary school, junior high, you probably see a lot more of them than me. I see their parents, but it seems like the kids are starting to get the hang of it. Like, oh, I don't have to choose one or the other. If I feel like I'm in the middle, I can be non-binary. I can go to the other side or I could change tomorrow and it's all okay. Um, Are you seeing a lot more acceptance among that generation? Yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing to get to see kids feeling like they have permission to be themselves and that they have the freedom to question and explore. And we also realize that, you know, elementary school, fifth, sixth graders, they're like, wait, what's a pronoun again? I also don't know what adjectives and adverbs are. Help me out here. And then you remind (laughs) them and they're like, oh, right, right, right. Okay, cool. And adults who have spent decades in this idea of we have he's and she's and that's it are much more resistant whereas a kid like he she they oh right right, okay got it yeah and that's what's beautiful about working with kids is they are much more open to being introduced to new ideas and concepts and it's a fine balancing act to admit that kids might be open to exploring a new identity when they have that representation available to them without saying that inclusive sex ed is going to turn your kids queer. Yeah, because I was going to say, do you get backlash from the parents? They're like, what did you tell my child? So the thing about the backlash is that overwhelmingly, the majority of parents and caregivers and teachers and adults are incredibly grateful that inclusive and affirming sex ed exists and is being made available in a way that they wish it had been when they were adolescents. Yeah. And that's what I have to remind myself and I tell other people to keep in mind when they are afraid of or dealing with hostility to these kinds of messages. Because most adults desperately wish that they had had more representation, more role models, 
more information, mm-hmm. accurate information saves lives. Literally tens of thousands of people died because they did not have accurate sex education. Oh yeah. During the AIDS crisis. Um, oh, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, in many other sure. ways since. And so this is life-saving. Absolutely. My sex ed through my church, I don't even think we got anything through school, but we had a church sex ed and I'm sure you've heard this scenario before, but the girls and the boys got taken separately. Mm-hmm. I think we were in junior high. And the nice old lady that talked to us said, we are a a gift wrapped up and put up with a lovely, lovely bowl for our husband. And we need to keep that gift intact and pure. So when our husband marries us, then he can open it. So that was my modeling. That's what I learned in that Totally messed me up. I'm just going to say. Yeah. (laughs) That was not helpful. (laughs) I'm sorry that you had that experience and a lot of other people did too. Yeah. And for much of the the 20th century version of sex education that a lot of, of young people got, it was about ensuring that someone said no, said no, said no, wore a white dress, said yes, made babies. Yes. Like all of a sudden you flip a switch and then you're all good. Okay, that does not happen. Right. And that leaves a lot to be desired and still to learn. Yes. And the AIDS crisis was a significant turning point in how sex education operates and is structured. And people died because they did not have accurate information about infection protection Mm -hmm. and everything that goes along with that. And I think that in the last decade, we are seeing another revolution in understanding of what sex ed needs to include. Not only here's how to use a condom, which is absolutely precious and life-saving information. And it is also not the only thing that people need to know to have a safe and healthy sex life. And I think that the Me Too movement and recognizing the way that trauma as an effect of sexual assault can impact someone for months or years of their life is also a consideration is something that sex ed is starting to approach and teaching consent and boundaries and the ability to communicate and to say no is, is equally important. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. That's a main piece of your work is the consent piece and that you can give consent for today, but not tomorrow. And you know, that, just all those little reminders that, that it's always consent is, is needed. Yeah. Always, no matter what. Right. Yeah. And our culture does not have good models for that in media. And that's something that is hugely important to teach adolescents and teenagers. Yeah. How are they going to learn? They, they see all sorts of rape culture in media and substance use, which kind of makes everybody a little foggy and, but still you have to get consent, right? Like if you can't get consent from someone because they're intoxicated, then it's a no-go? Yeah. What, is that what you teach? Okay. Yes. We've got a graphic that I'd be happy to send you on the components okay. of consent. And sobriety is a key component. Yeah. Legally, if you are not sober enough to drive a car, you're not sober enough to consent to sex. Oh. And that's something a lot of teenagers don't know. Yeah, I'll put that graphic in the notes. That that sounds like it'd be really helpful. Yeah. Definitely. Wow. Yeah. So that consent is such a good a good emphasis. And I'm sure you're doing an awesome job with that with the kids. What else are kids coming to you with questions about, or what are their big concerns for safety and for their own sexual health, their own sexual knowledge? 
we get a lot of questions about gay sex and mm. the thing that I want to inform people as far as, you know, condom use and barrier methods. Gay sex is not actually a thing. Usually when people say that, they're referring to anal sex. And mm -hmm. about the same percentage of gay and straight couples engage in anal sex. Mm. And unfortunately, a lot of young people have heard sex referred to so often with the assumption that we're talking about penis and vagina, that we're talking about cisgender oh. heterosexual sex, that if what they are interested in and thinking about is queer, they tune it out and they're not open to to learning the same health and safety information. So acknowledging that behaviors and body parts and gender identity are totally separate and can be mixed and matched in any number of ways. And the same body fluids and potential entry points to your bloodstream and system will mm -hmm. still apply. And we want you yeah. to have an awareness of the types of behaviors that could lead to a risk of spreading infection are still yeah. relevant. There are doctors practicing medicine today who do not think that lesbians need to worry about sexually transmissible infections. Whoa. And that's terrifying. That is terrifying. And yes, vaginal wow. fluids and hand stuff do have the risk of transmitting infections. Wow. And we don't want to employ scare tactics. We know mm -hmm. that scare tactics are not effective in promoting healthy practices or behaviors. Yeah. But we want young people to have the information they need to keep their bodies safe. Yeah, yeah, that's so important. So if you're saying that sex is not just intercourse, heterosexual intercourse, what is your definition of sex that kids are needing to know now? What is, what is sex? Great question. Sex means different things to different people is my short version answer of that. Okay. And when we talk about abstinence, which we do address uh -huh. the myth that comprehensive and inclusive sex ed is like, you can do it all the time, whenever, have a great time, kids. That's harmful. That's not what we teach. Yeah, right, right. We want people to understand behaviors that have a risk of transmitting infection. So we will talk about oral, anal, vaginal, or skin to genital contact. We define sexual activities or behaviors as anything where you're coming into contact with another person's genitals. Okay. Basically, whether that's with hands, with mouth, with your body, any part of your body coming into contact with mm -hmm. another person's genitals, pre-ejaculate, semen, vaginal fluids, also blood, fecal matter. Those are all things that have a potential to spread bacteria or viruses that can lead to infections, some of which can be life-threatening. So wow. those are, that's, that's how we want to contextualize risky behaviors. Oh, okay. And there are plenty of options for barrier methods. Condoms are the most obvious, but there are latex gloves, there are dental dams, there's a brand new option on the market that is essentially disposable latex panties. For oral sex, because very few adults actually use a barrier method for oral sex on a vulva, and it is an infection transmission pathway wow. that we want people to know about. Wow, I've never heard of such a thing. So there are options. Yeah, it's there brand, it just okay. came out in the last few months. Wow. Okay. FDA approved. Because then you don't have to hang on to it. Yeah. Is that why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hands free. I get it. I get it. Is it okay for parents to rely on programs like yours or their school or their church to teach their kids about sex? Awesome question. 
What we always say is that we recognize parents are the first and most important sex educators in a child's life. That's not a role that you can abdicate from by sending your kid to a great sex ed class as much as we would like to think that we put on a great sex mm -hmm. ed class. Not saying anything says a lot too. And kids pick up the message from their parents or trusted adults if there is a topic that is too taboo for mm -hmm. their parent to address and engage with honestly. Yeah. So we always want parents to recognize that they have an obligation to address the topics of body parts and feelings and a desire for affection and a desire for pleasure and satisfaction. Those are human needs, human desires. Mm -hmm. And if you ignore and avoid that, you are sending the message that there is something shameful here and that can have very long lasting effects. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's totally valuable to acknowledge your own feelings with your child to say, I'm not sure how to answer that, or I'm a little uncomfortable with this. Can we talk about it once I've had some time to think about it? It's never too late to go back to a child and say, hey, remember when you asked me, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about it since, yeah. and I, I want to circle back to that. I didn't say what I wanted to say. Hmm, that's good advice. I think that those are all valuable and worthwhile. Yeah, because in the heat of the moment, it's very easy for parents to go, I don't know. Totally. I don't know. And so totally. it's easy to shut that conversation down because it can be shocking. I've had a few of those conversations with my son and like, ha, huh, I don't know. Uh, so that's good advice to just say, can I get back to you on that? Or can yeah. we talk about it after I do some research or whatever? The number one best thing I want parents to know about your kid's health and safety when it comes to sex is don't freak out. Yes. The message that you send when you freak out, get alarmist, get preachy or lectury about any of these topics is that you're not someone that is willing to listen, that you are not able to really process and, and walk with them, yeah. as you said, yeah. which I think is a beautiful sentiment. And it's the same thing with substance use. I always tell parents, you know, if you find a vape pen, the worst thing you can do is totally flip out on them and yeah. punish or freak out because guess what they're going to still use their vaping but they're going to make sure you don't know about it anymore yeah so the same thing with sex and the goal is to keep the door of communication open yes because you want them coming to you yeah not to their 13 year old friend that doesn't know yeah. anything or some other teacher or grown-up that you don't know what they're going to tell them you want them to come to you yep. so keeping ourselves calm deep breath because <laughs> yeah some of it's very tricky and it's hard for parents to imagine their child being a sexual being yeah it's it's really hard I can it, it's it, it's like no you're my little baby how can that possibly be that you're a sexual being but if we if we can think of people as being sexual from in utero right absolutely I think I've read that in utero babies masturbate definitely there's ultrasound evidence yeah yeah, the biology of our bodies teaches us that pleasure is an innate component of our sexuality. It is not solely reproductive. The clitoris exists, right. and its only function is to let our bodies feel good. Wow. And there's also a lot of research that shows that acknowledging pleasure is important for reducing sexual assault and victimization. Oh. If people know that you have a right to pleasure, that your body is equipped with nerve endings whose job is to let you feel good, then they are less likely to be coerced into experiences that oh. don't feel good. 
Wow. Well, that's good. There's like a science on that, like a statistics. Yeah. That, wow, that's really good. Yeah. The little lady in the church never told me about that. Just saying. A lot of people never learn about the clitoris and it is a magical little organ. Oh my God. Oh, I totally missed out for a while. <laughs> I got it now though. I got it figured out. Glad you got there eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Had to, had to make my own road there for a while, but it's okay. At what age then should parents start talking to their kids about sex? Like from birth, right? Yeah. No age is too young. Their babies in utero have been shown on ultrasounds masturbating. It's not a sexual thing in infancy or toddlerhood. Plenty of toddlers masturbate because they know it feels good. They, they have those body parts. They have the ability to touch them. And they're exploring that. They know that they pee and poop. They know that it feels good to be held and cuddled. Mm -hmm. They know they're learning messages about love and affection from the adults and caregivers in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so communicating about your body, using accurate names for body parts from infancy yeah. and toddlerhood is incredibly important. Using correct names for genitals protects children from abuse. Unfortunately, there are, there are cases of adults not understanding that a child was trying to tell them about sexual abuse because oh. that child did not have the vocabulary to talk about the body parts that were being molested. Oh, wow. Can you give us an example of how that would be? I have heard a story about a child who told their teacher, my uncle licked my cookie. Oh. And the teacher, dealing with a classroom of bunches yeah. of other students and less teachers, they have enough going on. Yes. And also dealing with disclosures of abuse is a, is a tall order. Yeah. And the teacher did not realize what was happening until in a conversation with that small child's parent, that parent mentioned something about, yeah, she's been, she's been itching a lot. She's got a rash on her cookie. Oh. And that was when the teacher made the connection and realized oh, wow. what that child had been trying to say. Yeah. And uh, that's a terrible story. And by not being able to name the thing, it it just automatically applies shame. Yeah. Right. Like if you have to use a nickname for it, you know, my, my, I, my mother might be listening to this. Hi mom. But when we were kids, we, we didn't call it our period or menstruating. We didn't use those words. We call it our century. I don't know why <laughs> it's a different kind of period, I guess, like a period of time. Sure. But like, we couldn't even call it a period. Like what in the heck, much less other body parts, you know? So it just, it, it just says, okay, it's not okay to talk about these things because we're not able to use the real words. Is that the reason to use the real words? Absolutely. Experiences of shame can carry on into adulthood and the rest of your life. The messaging around periods, particularly menstruation, is a contributing factor in gender inequality. There are places in the world, and this is something that we tell students in our puberty classes in elementary and middle school, if you live in a place in the world where it is not socially acceptable to acknowledge the existence of periods, a lot of people who menstruate drop out of school when they begin menstruating because they do not have running water or a private bathroom, the ability to change a pad or a tampon while they are at school, and they can't miss a week out of school every single month. Wow. So they drop out of school when they hit menstruation. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, isn't there some cultures where you have to go to a tent or something? Mm -hmm. 
and just hide while you're menstruating. And I think it's incredibly important for people who don't menstruate to understand that and learn how to be cool about pads and tampons. Yeah. That's really valuable. You know, I, I'm so pleased with things like that coming out into, I don't know, a Disney film or something I recently saw. What was that? Turning Red? Yes. Oh, the whole. I loved that movie. The whole film was about was menstruation great. and generational trauma and really amazing things. So it's coming. People are more open about it, I guess. Creative people are finding ways to incorporate these frank discussions and making it seem more normal, which yeah. I think can only have positive effects. Absolutely. When my son was in kindergarten, we put him through the owl, the our whole lives training at our church. And he did learn all those the names for things. And it was about different relationships, which was good because he had two moms at the time. So I thought that was really great. And, you know, especially from where I grew up, I had never thought of sex ed for a kindergartner. I was like, what? And I was I was a little concerned, but they had a parent meeting and they told us what it was going to be. And like, that is so awesome that I think everybody should go through that. Yeah, that's great. Different kinds of families, names of body parts, Mm -hmm. what a good friendship looks like and consists of how to say no if someone is making you uncomfortable. And starting that consent discussion. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Very good. How has gaming and social media affected our kids differently than, you know, I had nothing. I had no phone on my person every moment of the day. How, how is this affecting our kids' sex experiences? I do not envy adolescents today for no. having okay. to contend with all of the messaging and, and communications that, uh, that an interconnected world and having access to those kinds of devices puts them in touch with. We unfortunately know that online gaming and social media is exposing kids to some really harmful ideologies. We know that there are white supremacist neo-Nazis actively and intentionally working to recruit mostly young white boys into modern Nazi ideology through, through violent video games and edgy quote unquote memes. Mm. Uh, I encourage anyone with an adolescent boy or male identified type in their life to talk about what you are seeing that you think is funny and why is it funny? Mm. Uh, There is no such thing as just a joke and it's just a joke. Lighten up. Don't take it so seriously. Don't be so sensitive is the messaging that is used. Gaslighting, exactly. Mm -hmm. To to spread really harmful messaging that dehumanizes groups of people. Wow. And if there is racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic messaging in those kinds of memes, jokes, online platforms... That is that is coaching young people to see other groups as less than a great example that we get questions about all the time from middle and high schoolers is furries. Uh Oh, yes. furries. So so there are people who like to play dress up as animals or play pretend as animals. And a lot of the jokes that I hear from middle schoolers about furries are the exact same jokes that when I was a middle schooler, we were hearing kids make about gay people. 
it's an easy group to dunk on. It's Ah. an easy target to practice your bullying. And Ah. it's, it's absolutely bullying. And it is a easy population to practice dehumanizing. Yeah, and I, yeah. I hear kids asking, like, do furries even deserve basic human rights? <gasps> oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, verbatim. Whoa. Oof. That's pretty tough. What if parents, I'm sure, might be concerned about if their kid is a furry? It's strange behavior, quirky behavior, right? Is there anything inherently dangerous about being a furry or just that they'll be bullied and <laughs> and uh Ostracized. I would be most worried about the bullying aspect. There are people who are into anything you can imagine that could potentially be harmful. Yeah. And that's kind of my party line is that whatever you are into, making sure that you are staying safe and being respectful of other people is yep. is what's most important. The way that I describe it when people ask questions about it is it's playing dress up. It's playing pretend. Yeah. Adults like to do that, and some people enjoy that as a part of their sex life. It's actually a myth that the furry community is inherently sexual. For some people, oh. it is primarily just play and pretend. Just play For some people, that. it has a sexual component to it, um, mm. and that is adult prerogative. Yeah. And recognizing, and, and this is true for any questions that kids have about adult sexual behavior, is, yeah, some people are into that. Not everybody. And it's okay if you're not. It's okay if you are. Being mm-hmm. respectful of partners, being in tune with your feelings, and making sure that you are practicing safety and consent in yeah. whatever you're into is, is what's most important. A lot of yeah, questions so that kids have about sex are, are really just, is this real? Is this a real thing that some adults do? And am I going to be expected to be into that. Oh, they think that because it exists, that one would need to in, engage in that behavior. But that's not true. Yeah. It's okay if you're into it. It's okay if you're not. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Do you have any other questions that kids constantly ask you guys? I think you said something about an anonymous box. Anonymous question box is one of the best parts of the class. We let everybody write down any questions they have totally anonymously, and we answer them in the next class so that we have some time to look through them, you know, get the giggles out, do some research if need be. We will frequently get questions about porn. Mm -hmm. One of the most common questions we get is, when is the right age? When is it okay to Mm. have sex? And we will always provide medical and legal info. So in the state of California, the age of consent is 18. Um, That's where we teach. It is also illegal to show porn to people under the age of 18. We know that the average age that an American youth accesses online pornography for the first time is about 11 and a half years old, actually. Don't they gear it towards kids like like everything else? Don't they gear it so the kids find it and so it's enticing for the kids? Or is it are they just naturally drawn to it because it's about sex? I don't know off the top of my head whether there is intent. I mean, I'm sure that there are porn websites that that do intentionally try to attract a younger audience, although that is explicitly illegal. We know that it's very normal for adolescents to be curious about and want to seek that out. And that's what I would say to parents who are concerned about their underage child 
seeking or consuming pornography is to recognize that the desire is normal and to focus on the potential harms. Mm-hmm. So there are ways that websites could do digital harm to your computer for one thing. Oh. And, and more broadly than that, that messages and ideas about sex that are shown in pornography are not true and accurate depictions of most adult sexual relationships and can lead to harmful ideas about sex. Doctors have seen a number of teenagers with penises who are experiencing erectile dysfunction as teenagers because they have conditioned their bodies to only respond to a certain type of pornography and they are not able to experience normal sexual functioning with a human partner when they want to. Wow. That's really sad and not that surprising because the images you'll see on porn is so extreme. Right. So it'd be like growing up with really sweet, like Captain Crunch cereal, and then somebody hands you grape nuts and says, here you go. And you'd be like, nope, <laughs> I want the, the extremely, the off the charts stuff, right? Yeah. Wow. That's really sad. I want to be clear that we don't have a value judgment about adults who choose to engage Mm -hmm. with pornography in their private personal lives for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Like that is a choice that plenty of adults make. Uh, It's available. Desiring visual stimuli is totally normal and human. And we, we don't want to condemn or vilify that. We just want people to have an awareness of what risks yeah. there are. What about the sexting? I, I know that kids are doing this all the time. It's, it's like virtually impossible to get through your high school career without being asked for a, a sex picture. Is it really that common? I don't have statistics off the top of my head. It is pretty common when teenagers have internet-enabled devices that can take pictures. A percentage of teens are going to use them to engage in in sexual exploratory behavior. We always want teens to know that it is illegal to possess or distribute photos of a nude underage person, even if that's a photo of yourself. Oh, wow. The cases in which that has been prosecuted are a little iffy. The idea that a topless photo can be prosecuted as child pornography has never actually been tested in court, I believe. Mm. Genitals, yes. What we want people to know is that in the same way teaching people don't get raped is not Mm -hmm. as valuable a message for society as a whole as teaching people don't rape. Yes. You know, telling adolescent girls with smartphones don't send nudes is not adequate. If you are not also sending the reverse message, it's not okay to ask for them. And asking or pressuring someone to do something illegal is also illegal. And so we need to be sending the message. It's not okay to ask. Yeah. Is it true that there are like gross 45 year olds that are asking these kids for photos through their gaming or whatever? Yeah. There are gross people on the internet trying all kinds of creepy stuff. Yikes. So that's the tricky thing with that internet. You don't really know who you're talking to and. Do you address the whole phone situation? Like what, what do you suggest parents do with their phones and the internet and all that? We avoid prescribing firm rules for parents when it comes to digital technology. We realize different families have different values and attitudes and families have to figure out what works for them. The 
things that I think are really valuable are for parents and teens to have similar rules about technology use. If you don't want your kid to have their phone at the table during dinner, Mm -hmm. you need to honor that same rule. Ah, yeah. Modeling the behavior that you want to see is a lot more effective than issuing a blanket dictate. Yeah. Yeah. That works a lot better for sure. (laughs) Yeah. What about now the fall of Roe v. Wade? Now we're in California, so it probably won't affect us, at least not for a long time. Maybe never, hopefully. What is the message you're giving to teens about pregnancy now? I mean, how did that change things? (sighs) (laughs) I know. So more than sex ed as an organization supports abortion as a important healthcare procedure that Mm -hmm. people have the right to access if they are pregnant and do not want to be pregnant. We are grateful to live and be working in California where sex ed laws require that abortion be discussed and and addressed in middle and high school. That's not the case in all states. Mm -mm. People who don't have access to the full scope of reproductive health care will die. And and it is horrifying and heartbreaking to see the ways in which lives are already being compromised Mm -hmm. and lost Mm -hmm. in our country. Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to lift up the many, many hardworking people all over America who are are boots on the ground organizing Mm to ensure that people do have the ability to access the health care that they need. Yeah. And I'm grateful for all of those people doing all of that work. I think that it is important to recognize that abortion is one facet of a whole host of reproductive justice issues. Mm-hmm. The framework of reproductive justice is one championed by a number of women of color who have been working in this space for many decades focused on not only the ability to end a pregnancy if someone does not want to be pregnant, but the right to have children that someone does want and raise them in healthy, stable homes. Yes. And and that's a whole other host of issues that touch on many different aspects. Definitely. I'm in the adoption world because my son is adopted and there are so many birth mothers who get their children coerced away from them or like literally ripped away from them. And the adoptive parents pay a ton of money to get this child. But if we just put that money toward helping the birth family be stable, give them childcare, give them medical care, whatever they need, they could stay intact and whole as a family. So I know that that is an issue in the foster care system as well. We will take children away from a parent who is not financially able to provide for them and give financial resources to a foster parent instead. Yes. And that's all kinds of messed up. Yeah. Foster parents get paid. It is all kinds of messed up. It is really terrible. And it's just probably only going to get worse without Roe v. Wade. And, you know, women are going to have to make difficult choices that don't live in a state where you can still get abortion easily. Ugh, it's terrible. If you could just tell parents one thing, one overriding thing that would be the best thing for their child's sexual health, what would you tell the parents? Listen and resist the urge to jump to giving advice as much as possible if you can hold the door open to communication by 
not freaking out, <laughs> as we mm-hmm. said, yeah, and being patient and non-judgmental and mm-hmm. communicating that their feelings matter, mm-hmm. that you understand that whatever they're feeling is okay, that having crushes and sexual desires and and various all kinds of feelings and and experiences is normal is part of the human experience it is hard to recognize your child as a sexual being but they need to know that their trusted adult sees them as a whole person and that includes their sexuality and that is the best way to ensure that they that they feel seen and respected and will continue to trust you and and believe that you will be there for them and and keep coming back to you when things get hard now you you recommend not getting into advice mode, which I also agree super hard. Is that because you want the child to come up with a solution or why, why stay away from advice? Ideally, uh, a, a young person will sort through the, the best course of action for themselves with guidance from a trusted adult. I think that there is a time and a place to give advice. I think that it can be valuable to ask. Do you just want empathy or do you want to know what I think? Yeah. That's very good. You're looking for empathy or advice is a great question to ask. Sometimes I think an adult could say something along the lines of, hey, this is really important to me and I need you to know my feelings on the subject. You don't have to respond, but I just want to like drop this knowledge on you so that mm-hmm. I know I've said it. Uh, in the car is a great place for that <laughs> where yeah. they don't yeah. have to make eye contact with you. <laughs> Yeah, that's something we love to recommend. Offering options without telling a kid what they should do. Mm -hmm. You know, do you think that being on birth control might be a valuable thing for you so that you don't have to worry about pregnancy? Right now, we could go to Planned Parenthood together. Offering options without without dictating. Yeah. And once you add that should word, then a lot of kids will just run the other direction. Or feel some sort of shame around anytime you use that word should. So Yeah. Right. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about yet that you would like to talk about? I think that when it comes to LGBTQ identities, there has been a messaging that either you affirm and support that this is who your child is and it's locked in from now on, or you dismiss it as just a phase. And I think Mm. that there is actually a healthy middle ground where you can let a kid explore their identity. And if it does turn out to have been a phase that they were exploring, that's okay, too. The Mm -hmm. just a phase language has been used to dismiss and do harm. And I think that it sometimes leads kids to feel like they have to be sure. And there are a lot of queer adolescents who feel like they have to have engaged in sexual behavior in order to feel like they can confirm and be certain of their sexual identity. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is there is middle ground to let a kid know that you you know that they are the expert on them. They know who they are better than anyone else. No one but you knows what it feels like inside your head. Mm -hmm. And 
It's okay to try on different identities. We let teenagers do that in all other kinds of aspects yeah. of their lives. You're, you're yeah, trying try stuff baseball, out. Try choir. See try, what fits. Yeah. 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 Clothing. Yeah. Yeah. Just see what fits in. It's not a, a life sentence either way. Yeah. Wow. That openness to just allowing your child to be that radical acceptance. This is what you are right now. Great. Awesome. Going with the flow, you know, if they decide to turn the corner a different way later on, it's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. More than sex ed, your organization, you do parenting workshops, I know, and you work in schools. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what your organization does? Yeah. So we primarily work in schools in the LA area. We deliver K through 12 education. Obviously, what is age appropriate varies pretty widely. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, body parts and feelings and healthy relationships and different kinds of families at the younger levels. And it's putting condoms on and recognizing signs of abuse and navigating consent and bystander intervention at high school mm -hmm. grades and a whole bunch of other stuff, too. We love getting to do teacher professional development workshops with our client schools as well. We're doing a lot of that right now in back to school season. Oh, you teach the teachers. Having the whole faculty team on board with being inclusive and affirming and supportive of LGBTQ uh -huh. students can significantly reduce bullying and also self-harm and suicide um, rates among, among youth. Yeah, even just calling them their preferred name or preferred pronoun and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Educating whole school teams about ah. pronouns and, and trans identities. Nice. Is something we're really proud to get to do to help support the whole school community. And what is the more then? What else are you guys talking about besides sex ed? So the traditional assumptions about sex ed are that we're talking about body parts and what makes a baby and condoms on bananas. And we gotcha. do do all of those things, uh -huh. but people might not recognize that identities, messages about gender role uh -huh. stereotypes, healthy relationship communication skills, social media, pornography, digital citizenship, mm -hmm. media literacy, body image, mm -hmm. all of those components are not strictly sex but they are critical to comprehensive sex ed. So we named yeah. the company more than yeah. explicitly. And sometimes we open with a class on healthy relationships and we'll get a question in the anonymous question box. That's like, when are we going to talk about sex? It's uh. like, we named the company more than sex ed yeah. on purpose, kids. <laughs> very good. Very good. Well, we'll put the link to more than sex ed on our show notes. Do you have things that are on Zoom for folks to enjoy or do you have to be in LA to use your company? We are offering an open enrollment online class for middle and high school students this fall so that people from anywhere in the country who want a good sex ed experience can sign up. We also do parent education workshops that are on Zoom that we've got some coming up if that's a thing that people are interested in. The experience of living through pandemic really taught everybody a lot about remote access and and virtual events and yep. there was some some positive to come out of that and it's nice to be able to get a group of people together for a learning experience without asking them to drive across LA on a weeknight yeah and maybe for some people to have a discussion about sex ed to do it 
not in person might be easier for them. Absolutely. Without having to be face to face with other people in the a room. The ability to turn your turn your camera off. Yeah. Ask a question yeah. in real time in the chat directly to the teacher without everyone knowing that you're asking this question. Pretty valuable. That's really useful. Yeah. Well, you guys are doing amazing work. I'm so glad my friend Karen introduced me to you guys and I'm so glad she did. I'm glad to know you guys are out there and I hope people will look you guys up and continue those conversations or start them if they haven't started them yet with their kids at any age, right? To uh, be open and empathetic and self-aware and not freaking out about whatever your kid asks you about. That's the goal. <laughs> Keep that door open. Yeah, very good. Well, thank you for being with us here on Safe Home Podcast. I'm Melinda. It's great having you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. And listeners, please share this episode with anyone you know that has kids of any age. This is such an important topic. It's like a life or death kind of topic. It's not just goofing around. It's like a serious topic. And it's very confusing for parents. So send them this episode. It's an easy way for people to get introduced to this concept of kind of a more inclusive sex education concept if they're not already familiar. And go ahead and find Safe Home Podcast on your social media. And we do have a Patreon page. So if you're interested in supporting us or joining a couple of our Patreon only support groups, find us at patreon.com slash safe home. Thank you again, Emelinda. And she and I want you all to stay safe.